0: Hello and welcome to Family Renewal. I'm Israel Wayne, your host. We hope you'll stay with us for the next 30 minutes as we take a look at faith, family, and culture all through the lenses of a biblical worldview. This program is a production of the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network. Welcome to another edition of the Family Renewal Podcast. I'm Israel Wayne.
1: And I'm Brooke. And we're really glad that you've tuned in. This is part two of teaching your young child to read. And if you have not heard the first part of this podcast, we encourage you to look that up.
0: Yeah, I grew up as a homeschooled student and I was dyslexic. I didn't actually learn how to read until I was about 10 or 11 years old. And um, I had kind of faked a lot of people, honestly, uh, because I had a very good short-term memory, and I used to memorize words as pictures. And that is actually how a lot of children are taught to learn how to read, is through what's called sight reading, uh, or even whole language. Whole language is kind of a hybrid between sight reading, uh, or what's called the look-say method, where you you look at a word and you you say it as though it's a picture. Um, I whole language is kind of a hybrid between phonics and, and look, say, or, or um, you know, a pictographic type of uh, approach to reading. But I could memorize the word, say, tree. Uh, and so if somebody showed me a flash card of the word tree, I remembered it, I would have them say it. And they would say, I, I would say, well, what is it? And they would say, it's tree. Well, I could just remember that. And so It was the same if they showed me a picture of a tree, or if they showed me the word tree, I could just memorize it. And I memorized probably several hundred words, and so people thought that I knew how to read, and it really wasn't until I got to be 10 or 11 years old, and I remember being in a Sunday school class and being asked to stand up and read from the Bible. There were no pictures to help me, there were no clues, there was nothing to assist me, and I couldn't do it. I did not know how to break down the words and to actually just read. So what happened was my mom had me go back and do phonics, and what was bad was in those days, um, in the 80s, there really weren't like programs available for homeschoolers, or we didn't know of them, if there were, that were remedial. Um, there were just these little kids' phonics programs, so I actually had to do these skip, jump, hop, and play five-year-old phonics programs to go back and learn all that again. Had I been in a school classroom, I guarantee you I would not have submitted to the process of going to a special class. Uh, I probably would be illiterate today if I had been in a school classroom. I did not want to be stigmatized as having a learning disorder or reading disorder. Uh, but at home, I could be in the privacy of my bedroom, listen to those stupid, silly songs, learn the learn the methods, and um, I learned how to read. I honestly did not start reading books until... I finished high school. Actually, I finished high school a few days before I turned 16. I went and got a job and worked 40 hours a week from pretty much the week I turned 16 until I was about 17 and a half. Um, And then I went into a a full-time career at 17 and a half. But it wasn't until after um, I had started my career, basically, that I started reading. And before that, I just literally didn't read books. I probably... Never read more than a dozen books over 40 pages in my whole childhood growing up.
1: And I know one thing you've mentioned is that reading aloud really made a difference. Maybe about age 15 on that you started reading out loud?
0: Yeah, I started reading the Bible to myself in the privacy of my bedroom uh, every day. And it's ironic in a way that I'm a writer today and an author and, and speaker uh, because that's how I make my living, is with words. And growing up as a student, it was such a challenge for me. I literally flunked every writing program I ever tried to take. I hated language arts, I hated English grammar, composition, punctuation, spelling, anything that had to do with words. I absolutely disdained it because it was so hard for me, it was so difficult. And uh, actually developed um, a love for audiobooks in my teen years, and uh, still to this day, I probably do 10 audiobooks for any one book that I actually read. Um, reading is still difficult for me. I've improved dramatically through a lot of hard work and the grace of God, but it still is hard for me. I read really slowly. I was actually commissioned to record an audiobook uh, from another ministry and a friend of mine who is an author, and so I recorded and produced uh, this audiobook for this other organization. Um, I've done it several times now, but this was the first time probably 15 years ago, something like that. No, not that long, 10 years ago. And uh, when I completed it, it took me an insane amount of time because I messed up so much. My reading was so terrible. When I completed the audiobook, it was such a sense of accomplishment. It was like one of the highlights of my life to have professionally recorded and read Uh, an audio book that was sold in Christian bookstores because reading was so difficult for me. It was so painful for me. Uh, But thankfully, I had a lot of people who read books to me when I was a child. And so um, that was a tremendous help because I knew that there was good stuff in books. I just needed to find a way to get to it. We actually have a son who is very much like me, and he is also dyslexic. And in terms of reading, he's been our biggest challenge. Um, Our oldest son was five years old, when he started to read and has been a great reader and has read lots of books in his young life. And at 16, he's probably read definitely dozens and dozens of fairly substantive books. Mm-hmm. Um, but our other son, boy, he really struggles with it. And uh, it's been a challenge. And, and, you know, you have those concerns as a parent, like, is he ever going to learn how to read? And, you know, is he going to be illiterate going through life? What What's going to happen here? And I just heard him reading this morning uh, with his sister. They do Bible quizzing, and they were helping each other by reading passages of Scripture to help prepare for their quizzes, quiz meets. And he was reading flawlessly. He just sat down with the Bible, opened it up, and just read flawlessly. He just turned 13, but literally he has struggled with reading. And I would say he probably has read at like when he was 12 years old, was probably reading at, what, a third grade level?
1: Mm, second, yeah. Second
0: grade level? Yeah. So we're talking about, I mean, substantive reading mm-hmm. issues. Um, I would say in the last year, he's probably gone up two or three or four grade levels yeah. in reading. he's doing great. Um, probably, what, three grade levels behind in spelling, something like that. He's not still doesn't do well with spelling.
1: Yeah, but it's catching up really fast. And, you know, I think that's the thing that's really encouraged me is, we would just kind of start our reading curriculum over and over. And, um, it, you know, it's a challenge with a child like that because you don't want them to make them feel like they can't get it. But when you see them not getting it, you're like, uh, okay, now let's try, you know, try it again and go a little slower this time or let's try it again and try a different angle. But also keeping their spirits up so that they don't feel uh, lessened can be a challenge. And I I knew he would get it. I knew all this effort would pay off. And so we just kept at it slowly, kept going over things. I wouldn't deride him when he couldn't remember something that I just taught him the day before. And all those things, I'm so happy because it's all paid off. And we're just now seeing this phenomenal fruit coming and it's just growing like crazy so that I realize all my stress and tears over the the delay were not really necessary. He got it. It's okay. The thing to do is not give up or say, well, I guess I'm not, not expert enough. I'm not capable enough. Always we can learn. Always we can sharpen ourselves to be better teachers. But a lot of it comes down to in a dyslexic situation when that child is ready. And there are so many programs available Online to help so many different books you can get through the library to help with understanding the dyslexic, that as a parent you need to not fear that you can't help your dyslexic child because you can. You're the one who cares the most about it, and you're willing to go through the hundreds and hundreds of hours needed to help your child attain whatever level of reading he can.
0: Yeah, and literally a lot of times it's just a brain development issue. And it kicks in later at some point, and you know you may have people who struggle with these issues uh, even into adulthood. I, I I did. I mean, I had some significant improvement uh, in my teen years, um, but even into my adult years, I've still struggled. But I can function in life, you know. And I know some guys who work in construction or they. You know, deal with uh, more manual labor kind of jobs and they, they aren't book readers. They don't sit down and read books. They drive truck or whatever it is that they do. Um, not everybody is necessarily going to be literate. The thing you have to remember is I have so many of these friends who are 30, 40 years old and they really struggle with reading. They're still dyslexic and, and would probably have a, a sixth grade reading level as a 30 or 40 year old. But, you know, they went to public school. I mean, so the fact is that sending a child to school doesn't automatically make it okay for everybody. It's not like they're automatically just going to get it. Some people are just going to struggle. And the fact is these people are highly successful in life. They're phenomenally intelligent people. Um, They know more than I do about practical skills. They can build anything, fix anything uh, a lot of them are auto mechanics, and they're they're just really good with their hands, and they do things I could even begin to dream of doing. God wires us all a little bit differently.
1: Mm-hmm. Thank and, goodness, too, because yeah. you know we we need the different people. We need different people in the body.
0: Yeah, and so don't assume number one that just sending your child off to a school is going to fix a problem like this, because there are lots of kids who go through twelve grades of school and graduate still struggling, uh, and and not having overcome these issues and then there are people like me who still struggle with some of these issues and yet they figure out ways to improve and they figure out ways to cope and they they get along fine in life so don't feel like you're destroying your child's future just because they don't read on grade level um we we really as much as possible it just encourage our children to do the best that they can and if i'm going to be straight up honest with you we couldn't care less about grade level. We just couldn't. Shouldn't say that on a podcast. I know we just lost all of our listeners. They're like, okay, let's, let's go find somebody else to listen to. But honestly, I, Scripture says comparing yourselves among yourselves, you are unwise. Our goal is not to compare our 12-year-old with every other 12-year-old in the world. Um, our job as parents is to understand that 12-year-old and understand are they giving it their best? Are they doing the best that they can possibly do and to give them every opportunity to excel uh, within their own abilities and every motive to excel within their abilities? That's our goal as parents. Um, And if they're, quote, unquote, three grades behind, frankly, I couldn't even care less. As long as they're doing the best that they're able to do, um, that's what I think God requires of them, and that's what we seek to require from them as well.
1: Well, one thing that um, we've done as a way to help those uh, struggling learners in our home not compare themselves is to just have a once a year, I usually do it, September through October, once a year review of basic reading skills. And part of it, I say, hey, I want you to be available (laughs) to help your younger siblings learn how to read. But then it's also for those who, you know are struggling and maybe missed something or they didn't quite catch on to certain rules about spelling, that there's a, a review every year that I just automatically do. Everybody's involved, no matter what grade or age level. And I think that helps take away a little bit of that uh embarrassment feeling. And of course this is within our own our own home. And so, you know, we don't allow any negative talking towards each other, but just even among our our family, I think that really has really made a difference. One thing that we mentioned early on I want to cycle back to is talking about what are phonograms. So I mentioned about the actual alphabet, but then beyond the alphabet, there are other um, combinations that happen. And in the Spalding, they're called two-, three-, and four-letter phonograms. And basically, these are things you will recognize readily in any kind of word. Uh, let's take, for instance, A-Y. When it's put together, it says A as in day or lay or say. Um, and it has a pal who is closely related, it says A-I. Also says A as in paint or faint, saint. And um, all, the Spalding method goes through all these different combinations that are used within the English language and basically it teaches by flashcard and also by then writing out those phonograms uh, how to immediately recognize that and know exactly what it says, what those sounds that it says are so that when you open a book to read, you see a letter and you immediately know, oh, this is what that letter can say. And then as we start going through you know from what's most common and what's the easiest sound it says to then understanding the more complicated rules that go along with the English language. Uh, the reading really comes and makes much more sense to a child.
0: One thing I'd like to offer as a suggestion or advice is if you are a person like me who is kind of illiterate and uneducated, marry someone who's highly literate like my wife. <laughs> Um, who can then teach your children all of these things that you didn't uh take time to learn when you were a kid because you hated every minute of it. Um I wanted to say something about spalding. You know, when we were married, your mom was a spalding instructor and uh spalding is very intensive and if I remember correctly, there's something like two hundred and some rules of the <laughs> yeah, English the language and, and you know, all these um rules about how our English language works. And Spalding contains all of these rules. And you can have your five-year-old learn the 236 rules or however many there are of the English language so they know every possible nuance and caveat of why certain words say the things that they do. Yes. And um, with our oldest son, you were trying to teach him with this method, and he was just hitting a wall, and it wasn't working Yes, And he was getting frustrated, and you were getting frustrated. He was five years old. And I remember the day that I came home and said, okay, I think we need to stop doing this. This isn't working. You're frustrated. He's frustrated. I think we need to try something completely different, something completely outside the box. And so I basically set aside this, I don't remember how much it costs, but a couple hundred dollars. Is it that much? (laughs) It's like a $20 book. No, the Spalding books.
1: Oh, yeah, probably 20, maybe 40. I don't know. Oh, really? Yeah, it's not oh, expensive. But there's the
0: whole course, like with no. all the cards. Seriously? Oh. Uh,
1: the cards might be expensive, but the book's not.
0: Oh, really? Well, I remember somebody used to advertise in Homeschool Digest back when I worked uh, with um, Homeschool Digest. They advertised this Spalding course. It was like 240 bucks. Oh, maybe like a that.
1: course was, but I don't know.
0: Okay, so anyway. In my mind, anyway, how did this, this very expensive thing? So, I, I brought home a an alphaphonics book by Samuel Blumenfeld that I bought for 30 bucks online, and I said, just use this. It basically is the McGuffey Readers, which is how people learned how to read in colonial America for 200 years before all the um, whole language and look say stuff came into effect. So it's kind of a modernized contemporary version of the McGuffey readers. It's just simple phonics. And I said, let's just do this. Just use this phonics book, and let's just try this approach. And literally literally within a couple of weeks, he was reading. Now, I don't say that to contrast one program against the other, because um, Spalding is far more comprehensive. And so um, there's a lot that you'll get benefit from with that program. My purpose in saying this is to say that sometimes you're using a program and it's just not right for that child. Mm-hmm. Another child may learn great with it, may be able to relate to it, and this is true of any kind of curriculum, but you may find that you just hit a wall with a child with a particular subject, and sometimes just getting a different approach really helps um You know I know for example uh I took piano lessons when I was a kid and someone was trying to teach me the classical method. And basically their idea was that you would learn all the rules, uh, you would learn all the notes, and you would learn how to sight read. And basically it would be a year before you would really be able to play anything significantly on your own because you're just learning all the theory and method behind it. I didn't have patience for that. I I wasn't going to sit around and do that. But I remember when somebody sat down at the piano and taught me three chords and said, if you learn these three chords, you can play almost any song that there is. Um, man, by the end of a week, I knew five, six, seven, eight songs that I could play right. just by learning um, the method, of the chording method. And reading can be a little bit like that too. So we don't want to encourage people to do like sight reading, for example, uh, because we want them to be able to decode the words and know how to figure it out. Um, it's kind of like memorizing the multiplication tables, but not knowing how to multiply. Right. You know, it's not going to help you later in life. But what we do want is we want for your child to enjoy this process of reading yes, and to love stories and to want to read. And if you just kill their desire to want to read, if you kill their desire to learn, then you're in a world of hurt. You're really just, you just cut your legs out from under you. So there may be times where you have to back off and maybe give them some aids that kind of help them to read a few things faster and and get into it to where they have some sense of accomplishment.
1: Right? They're enjoying the the ride of I'm reading and I'm this is reading, great and, and I'm can... I'm getting some fun out of this.
0: Yeah, they can sit down with a very basic reader And be able to show somebody, I can read this book, and maybe no words in the book are over three letters, but it's something that they can do, and they can read that book. So
1: Yeah, so it's like there's a combination where, you know, for us, teaching our children to read, it combines the best of both of our personalities, hopefully the best, and uh, Israel's more enjoy the ride and enjoy the beauty of just having a good time reading and my more technical approach of we've got to know exactly why each letter says what it does and how it relates to its other letters. Um, But as we've combined both of those approach over a long haul, I think that um, for the most part, we've really had a lot of success. And where we've not, with our delayed readers, it's been actually... Really beneficial because after all those hours and hours putting in time teaching, we've actually seen some really good results.
0: We have good readers. One other thing I'd say about developing good readers is you have to limit entertainment and multimedia.
1: Yes. that's Because is so true. if you're
0: feeding your children on high-paced, high-action animation, cartoons, and movies, and television shows... To, to sit down with a bo- book that has no pictures and just read a story—the competition there is such that you're going to lose. Yeah. So you really want to make sure that you uh, limit that and video games right. with your children if you want them to be good readers.
1: And if you're starting from a point where your children do not, uh, you know, they're they're just addicted to TV or video games, I would encourage you as families to start setting aside some time every day to read aloud, a high-action story. And when the parents are involved and the children see, oh, this is something mom and dad see as valuable, and you're, you're leaving that chapter on a cliffhanger and it's entertaining and you're building some camaraderie within your family as far as sharing um, that experience together, I think that can really help turn the tide for your children to see that reading can be a lot of fun and educational.
0: I want to mention a couple of readers that we use. Um, there are some books called Primary Phonics published by EPS, schoolspecialty.com. And uh, these are not published by a Christian publisher, but they are really good in terms of picking words that and sounds that are appropriate for, uh, for the right level. So if you find out where your child is in this level and you put them in there, it's uh, very consistent. We find that there are a lot of books that throw in words that a child's not ready for. And so they might be trying to read at, say, a second grade level, and it's got fifth grade words in there. Mm -hmm. And I don't know why they do that. It frustrates and annoys me. Um, But it's, I guess they just don't know how to create a storyline that doesn't include more difficult words. These books are really consistent, so those are good. We mentioned the McGuffey Readers. Uh, it's an old set. You know, it's it's kind of a collectible thing, really, in a way, uh, but they're great. I mean, they taught kids how to read, and the Noah Webster Blueback Speller, you know, I love that, uh, these older books that um, colonial Americans and, and people for 200 years learned how to read with, uh, we love those kinds of books. So, um, Bert, do you have any thoughts on other kinds of readers that are good for developing and that help the, the early readers? Well, I've,
1: I've really enjoyed the, um, Christian Liberty publishers. Is that the name?
0: Yeah. Christian Liberty Press.
1: Liberty Press. There you go. Christian Liberty Press, um, has a series and I believe it just goes through eighth grade. So there's a, a first through eighth grade, um, readers and I, really kind of enjoyed them. seems like they have really good stories and they are very um, chronological as far as development naturally. But they're a pretty good price and they're hardcover so they're kind of durable for larger families handing them down from child to child.
0: There's a new phonics program too that I should mention that Masterbooks just came out with. Uh, We use a lot of Masterbooks curriculum in our home. uh, Masterbooks.com and I haven't had a chance to look at that phonics program. Yeah. It's that new. But I saw a video where they were discussing it with the author, and she was talking about how she's developed this to be very biblically based. And I thought, well, I'd love to check out what they do because we're really impressed with the quality of materials that they put out. So I'd love to see their phonics program, yeah. see what that's like. That, that shows a lot of potential anyway. So definitely worth uh, going online and looking for if you're checking out a, a phonics curriculum. Um, any other resources or thoughts that you have on the the reading and the teaching reading process?
1: Let me let me touch a little bit on uh teaching a child to write and again this goes back to my Spalding influences in my life but a lot of times um when we teach writing we teach uh reading very separate from the writing process. And the two really need to be linked together for the best maximum effort of your teaching time. And so when we're working through those phonograms, when a child has learned the alphabet, just the sounds, I go back and I have them start learning how it is to write those letters. And um, a lot of times that can be very difficult if the child is about five or under because they don't have those good motor skills yet. They're just learning how to do it, but going over it day after day, just a little bit, it doesn't have to be the whole alphabet every day. It depends on the child. Some children love to do that kind of thing. Some don't, but just writing a couple letters every day helps them to gain that ability, but then also connecting it. Oh, this is that sound that I already know. I already am learning this helps so much. I personally do not use the lines that you can buy lined paper everywhere that has the dashed line through the middle. Because I want a child to be able to visualize the halfway point on their own. And so I use a large type space, you know, not just your regular writing pad paper, but a larger space in between. Um, And you can probably just print them off your computer if you're able to create lined paper that's spaced at least double the size without that dashed line in the middle. It helps a child just to be able to visualize... You know, kind of get over having that crutch right away and just visualize. Sam Blumenfeld always said you should teach a child to write cursive before they write uh, stick ball method because a child's hand is more suited for the actual the flow of a cursive. I never have tried it, so it'd be kind of fun to hear if any of you have tried it.
0: Yeah, he talked about how in child development, if you just set a child down who's, say, three, four years old with a crayon and a piece of paper paper, they always make circles and loops.
1: It's true. We have a three-year-old that makes the most beautiful-looking cursive,
0: except it's nonsense. Yeah, so they don't do straight lines and straight circles. And so when you're writing, they're taught to use the stick-ball method, straight lines and circles, and they're not really ready for that. And so his view was that writing cursive was actually more natural to brain development of an early child. So you can actually look that up if you Go to, I think it's howtotutor.com. Just search. Anyway, he has a book called How to Tutor. um, But you could also just search Sam Blumenfeld, cursive writing, and um, read what he has to say on that. Decide for yourself. We're not advocating necessarily that you should teach your children cursive first. um, I just
1: found it a fascinating concept. It is
0: a fascinating concept. No doubt about it. In fact, there's even a question now today whether children should learn cursive at all. In many government schools, they're not teaching it anymore. And they're all going to grow up and be stupid and illiterate like me, because I don't know how to do cursive. I, I know how to sign my first <laughs> name in cursive, and that's about all. So,
1: Oh, that's sad.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, not really. Um, I don't need it. I, I just text. You I don't was, know that you don't need I it. Use, I, I really don't. I never use it, because uh-huh. I don't do handwritten letters. Um, if you ever see on eBay that there's a handwritten letter from Israel Wayne it's a forgery. It's <laughs> not mine, and it doesn't exist. So um, you, you'll get text messages from me or a uh, Facebook messenger. But That's So I've it. learned how to type with both my fingers and my thumbs. But, yeah, I mean, I'm not a millennial. Um, and whatever generation came after the millennials, I'm Gen X. But um, I'm just as uh, ignorant as all the... Uh, all the kids that are growing up not knowing cursive. I, I did, I did, I gotta say this for my mom's benefit though. My poor mother, who homeschooled me, spent many, many hours teaching me cursive. I did learn how to write cursive. I used to know how to write everything that there was to know how to write in capital and lowercase cursive. So she did her due diligence and then as soon as I became an adult and didn't have to do it anymore. I never did it ever again. I have not used (laughs) cursive probably since I was, since I graduated. So as soon as I turned 16, I've never used cursive again in my life. So (laughs) there you go. Homeschool failure story for you here on the Family Renewal Podcast. (laughs) So this is one of those points where your poor mother, uh, Brooke, who is no longer with us, she's She's with the Lord now, but she would probably be saying, what did I do? I allowed my <laughs> I allowed my daughter to marry this guy who's speaking apostate things on his podcast. She would be horrified right now.
1: <laughs> well, one more thing I wanted to share was, uh, you know, actually, I'm going to share about Winnie the Pooh. And I know that that's supposed to be a children's story, but I, I have a little bone to pick with that. I think Winnie the Pooh was written for adults It is terribly funny. And I will mention for Israel, who's rolling his eyes over here, that Francis Schaeffer himself was known to pack a little luncheon and take a little trip with his grown family, not children, and have a little picnic and take along Winnie the Pooh and read the entertaining stories therein.
0: Well, it's hard to argue with Dr. Francis Schaeffer. So (laughs) I I would complain about this, except, you know, I have such high admiration and esteem for Dr. Schaefer.
1: So Winnie the Pooh gets stuck at Rabbit's Hole. He's gone to visit and he um, eats so much of Rabbit's delightful snacks that he gets stuck on his way out. And it is determined by the wise and courageous Christopher Robin that there's nothing to do but just slim down. And it's going to take about a week or so. And poor Pooh is just beside himself because he's stuck in a rabbit hole, you know, a literal hole in the ground with one end back in the actual house home of the rabbit and the the other side, his front side sticking out. And so he begs that at the very least, would Christopher Robin come with some very sustaining stories to help him while he's stuck? And so Christopher Robin comes and he's got all these books and he reads aloud to him for the week. And I think that's something that that uh, we need to do in the midst of teaching our children reading when they're stuck, when they can't move, is that we need to make sure that the stories we read to them are sustaining stories. Because the real point of this is to get them onto the sustaining story of Christ and his gospel and the story he has written of history through through what's happened already in the world and then what is coming And uh, reading is such an important, important thing. It's probably the most important thing we can teach our children to do because it helps them have that connection to understand God's Word for themselves.
0: My mom had a philosophy when she was growing up, when she was growing, when I was growing up, um, that her job as a parent, as a homeschooling parent, was not to cram our heads full of all kinds of information and data because she knew we'd forget it anyway, like cursive, right? But rather, it was to teach us how to read, to teach us how to think, how to reason, uh, to teach us how to learn, how to develop good study skills. And she believed that if she could teach us those things, then we could teach ourselves how to learn anything we needed to know throughout life. And so um, because my mom dropped out of school in ninth grade, in high school, I was studying subjects that she never even learned. And uh, she didn't need to know them because she had taught me how to read. She taught me how to have good study skills. All she had to do was use a teacher guide and an answer key and grade my material. Um, I did have some video tutorial, which was helpful for some of the subjects. But essentially, um, she taught me how to be self-taught. And that really is the goal. So we're grateful for you joining us and listening to this podcast on reading and uh, we hope that you'll visit our website and check out our books i have a brand new book that is coming out spring 2017 Um, feel free to check our website and see if that's out yet Uh, but it is um, familyrenewal.org and then you can also uh, look for our facebook page which is facebook.com forward slash familyrenewal And we would like for you to sign up on our email list. And the email list is at um, www.familyrenewal.org forward slash subscribe, forward slash subscribe. And that will enable you to get email updates of where we're going to be, when we're going to be speaking in your area. And so uh, we hope you'll join us again for another episode of the Family Renewal podcast. And thank you very much for listening. Bye-bye.